Welcome to the Saturday Cadence Podcast, your ultimate destination for all things college football. I am your host, Blake Biscardi, and our podcast is a must-listen for avid fans, casual enthusiasts, and anyone looking to immerse themselves in the thrilling world of college football. Join myself and David Wertheim as we guide you through the intricacies of college football, offering valuable insights, analysis, and captivating discussions while keeping you up to date with the latest news and recruiting developments. We go beyond the headlines, which is what separates our show from other college football outlets. Our podcast is not just about news and analysis, it's also about the people behind the game. That's right, it's about you, the fan. We bridge the gap between fan and fame. Join us and embrace the thrill, excitement, and strategic brilliance that define college football. Tune in, stay informed, and be a part of the conversation that shapes the sport we all love. I'm Blake Biscardi, and remember, the Saturday Cadence Podcast is the heartbeat of college football. A defensive battle in Columbus, and Archie Griffin, your record is safe. Welcome into the 53rd episode of the Saturday Cadence Podcast. Blake Biscardi with you for the recap rendition of our show. We're going to start with the game in Columbus, Ohio, in the Big Ten between Ohio State and Penn State, top 10 battle there. The Buckeyes prevailing 20 to 12. Scoreboard not fully indicative of how dominating Ohio State was in that matchup. I thought offhand Ryan Day did an excellent job of scheming open Marvin Harrison Jr. And number 18 was the difference in this matchup. When you looked at the two offenses, how they wanted to go, there were times neither trusted its quarterback, though Ryan Day trusted Kyle McCord more because of Marvin Harrison Jr., Ohio State, though, we need to remember, beat this Penn State team that was highly rated. The national media was propping them up, thinking that the Nittany Lions were going to go into Columbus and beat the Buckeyes there. No Travion Henderson, no Denzel Burke, and no Emeka Ibuka for Ohio State. Three of its top players were not available on Saturday against Penn State, and the Buckeyes still won that matchup in the fashion that they did. Ohio State outgaining. Penn State 365 to 240. Now, Penn State scored the late touchdown in garbage time there, the final minute, 73 yards on that final drive. So if you take that away, the Ohio State defense holding the Penn State offense to less than 170 yards would have had 167 before that drive. Just think about that. The defense was elite. That's where we have to lead the show is Jim Knowles, and the Ohio State defense, the Silver Bullets are back. That is a championship-level defense. Ohio State fans listening, you need to hear this. The defense is championship-level. It might be better than the 2019 defense. The Buckeyes haven't had a unit this strong on all three levels in quite some time. And I know that you keep looking at the scoreboard and saying, oh, we didn't score 30, we didn't score 40, we didn't score 50. You have to understand you have a championship-level defense now. That's not necessary, and that's not the identity of this football team. Ohio State is good in its own right. Kyle McCord and the offense are getting better every single week. The offensive line played well. All the key areas you can ask for are starting to come together. This team could be really, really dangerous come November, December, and January if that offense finally reaches its potential. It's taking steps, but we saw Kyle McCord yesterday. He missed a couple of throws, but he was still excellent. For a young quarterback on this stage, he passed his second of his three major tests this season, again prevailing with no turnovers. 
Kyle McCord, great job running the offense, getting the ball to Marvin Harrison Jr., who had 11 catches for 162 yards and the touchdown to ice the game. That was one of the stories for me, was that matchup between Marvin Harrison Jr. and Kalen King, that Penn State corner. There was a lot of talk that King was going to shut down Marvin Harrison Jr. They were going to take him away and make the Buckeyes beat the Nittany Lions with either Cade Stover, Julian Fleming, Carnell Tate, Emeka Ibuka, if he was able to go. But no, Ryan Day found the creative ways to get Harrison the ball in space, create that spacing, get him in motion, put him, line him up on different sides of the formation. They did everything they could to get him the ball, and it worked. They executed, and the Buckeyes offense going to continue to get better once it's fully healthy and they unleash its entire potential there in November. What a battle we're going to have in Ann Arbor between the Ohio State Buckeyes and the Michigan Wolverines. But we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But for now, back to this defense. Ohio State, this defense held the Penn State offense to one of 16 on third down. Now that one of 16, do you know when that one conversion came? The final drive inside the red zone. Penn State over its first 15 third down conversions in this game. Jim Knowles' defense was lights out. Larry Johnson's unit was really strong. The linebackers played well, especially in the run defense, only giving up those two big gains there, both of them coming on the same drive. And then the defense found a way to get off the field. Really, really good showing. Sound football from the Silver Bullets. And then Jermaine Matthews, the true freshman, playing in for the injured Denzel Burke. Him and Jordan Hancock, who slid outside for Burke, were outstanding in coverage. Now, Drew Aller did not have a lot of time to throw. There was a lot of pressure on him. The play calling there from Mike Yersich didn't do him a ton of favors. It was evident they were not comfortable with him pushing the ball down the field, and that allowed Ohio State to come up and play tighter coverage, add an extra guy into the box, have numbers, and really slow down this Penn State offense, which we said was going to be one of the keys to the games. Can they affect Aller? Can the crowd be into this game? It clearly was. They did affect him. He did not turn the football over but there honestly weren't many opportunities for him to turn the football over because of the play calling there. Just looking at his stat sheet, he was 18 of 42. My goodness gracious, 18 of 42, only 191 yards, and that one lone touchdown there at the end. Aller's a good quarterback, but they're not quite there yet on offense for Penn State. I think that was really what you saw. The defense was really good. The offensive line was a little bit shaky. We thought it would be more so Ohio State's offensive line having trouble with the Nittany Lions front seven, but it was more of the opposite where the Penn State offensive line struggled there with the Buckeyes front seven. JT Tuimoloel and Olu Fashionu going at it multiple times there. JTT won in that fourth quarter. He just comes alive when Penn State is the opposing team in that fourth quarter, and he did just that with a big sack, a big TFL, a big pass break up there. He was all over the field in that fourth quarter. And then the Penn State rushing game, very pedestrian. There are only 49 yards on 26 carries. Nicholas Singleton and Catron Allen both had nine carries each. Not what you really expected to see from that offense. We thought they would be run first. But again, like we said, the vertical passing threat was not there. So Ohio State was able to play tighter in coverage. And then for the Buckeyes, you see Kyle McCord, 22 of 35 for 286 yards. Pretty similar to what C.J. Stroud's numbers were against Penn State at home in 2021 in his 
first game against the Nittany Lions as a starting quarterback. In that matchup, he threw for 305 yards in the one touchdown, but pretty similar there. I think he was 23 of 35 in the passing game. So very similar numbers. Mayan Williams and Chip Trainum were a nice one-two punch. Williams having 24 of the Ohio State carries there. He looked really good. He ran fast and physical, picking up 62 yards and that touchdown in the first half. Mayan Williams, a great runner, in for Travion Henderson. Originally, we thought Ohio State was going to want to run gap schemes with Dallin Hayden and Travion Henderson. If they were able to go, that's where they could be more effective. But they saw something, Ohio State, on film where Penn State liked to crash their defensive ends to the outside, and they felt more comfortable running between the tackles. So it actually worked out featuring Mayan Williams and Chip Traina more than the other two backs. Not that it would have been a disservice to have Henderson on the field, but it did work out for the Buckeyes between the tackles with the bruising back and Mayan Williams, who ran really well. And then Cade Stover, he was another X factor in this game for the Buckeye offense. Four catches for 70 yards, including that one big gain over the middle with just farmer strong hands to pull that reception in. I thought Stover played well. He is, without Brock Bowers now, active. The best tight end in college football and some weapon that Ohio State is going to be able to use a lot more down the stretch. He'll be key in games against Wisconsin this coming week and then Michigan in a couple of weeks. So Ohio State played excellent football in that game. Left some points on the table. Offense did not play flawlessly, but the offense did enough. But that defense, that is a story, a championship-level defense again for the Buckeyes. Make sure we keep that in mind going down the stretch that this team can win defense first. They do not need to score 40 or 50 points. And then elsewhere around the country, probably the next biggest game was in the Pac-12 with Utah and USC. A little bit of a shocker here to some, not to all, because Utah owns USC, Kyle Whittingham, 3-0 and against Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. Williams struggled in this game again. He was 24 of 34 for 256 yards. So he was efficient, but he didn't have any touchdowns through the air. He had one on the ground. He carried the ball 10 times for 27 yards. Not super effective there either. But Utah kept USC in check, walked it off with a field goal in the closing seconds. USC now two losses. Very, very surprising. For USC, they're picking up its second loss. They now fall to 24th in the AP poll after having championship and college football playoff aspirations. A lot of soul searching needs to be done by Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, and this USC team because their schedule only gets more challenging. They have Cal this coming Saturday, and then they finish the season with Washington at home. They travel to Eugene to play Oregon. And then they host UCLA in the crosstown rivalry there in L.A. Really, really tough slate. USC needs to be careful or they're going to find themselves at 8-4 and four or 9-5 and five because all three of those teams remaining have a stout defense or an elite offense, Oregon having both. So, again, to watch out for. And then how about Utah? Quietly 6-1 and one now, only the loss by three points to Oregon State, the Utes, are looking to contend for that Pac-12 again and defend their title. They host Oregon this coming Saturday in a massive matchup. Opening line here, four and a half, finding themselves as a home underdog. Watch out for that spot. Utah hosting Oregon this Saturday. We'll have more on the show later in the week on that one. And then Utah has Arizona State 
Washington, and Arizona and Colorado to close out the season. So Utah needs to win two of its next three games against top 10 teams. And then they are going to be looking at another chance to win the Pac-12 conference. Can't say enough about the job Kyle Whittingham does out in Utah. Playing with a backup quarterback, Bryson Barnes. He was really effective through the air. 14 to 23 for 235 and three touchdowns with the lone interception. And that humongous run on third down there in the fourth quarter to set up that field goal for 26 yards. An outstanding heads up play by him, stayed inbounds, got the extra yardage, and just ran physically. Utah hats off to you for winning 34 to 32 over USC. Now we'll hop over to the ACC, Duke and Florida State. This was a matchup that I thought was going to be closer. Mike Elko's teams have yet to lose by double digits since he's gotten there. Riley Leonard was able to give it a go, and that was the key in picking Duke with the 14 points. He left in the third quarter with re-injured his ankle, and that was really where the wheels fell off for Duke because they couldn't muster up any offense after that. So really unfortunate there for the Blue Devils who were playing well. They were out playing Florida State at the point that he left the game, and then Florida State obviously adding the three touchdowns in the fourth quarter to prevail 38-20. to But don't count out this Duke team if Riley Leonard is able to return this season. They are a good team, and their defense is very underrated. They held Jordan Travis in check there in the first half, really liked what their game plan was and how they were able to slow him down. Travis finishing 27 for 36 with 268, two touchdowns, and that one interception. Duke, good football team, but Florida State need to start talking about the Seminoles again because now they've picked up their third win in a big game this season, beating LSU to start, then Clemson at the end of September, now beating a ranked Duke team. Florida State doing its job. I know the competition is not as good as we thought, but there are some factors like injuries in the matchups, but Florida State doing their job. The Knolls are in prime playoff contention now because the ACC getting weaker. They look like they could run the table and lock up a playoff spot there. North Carolina did not help them, losing to Virginia at home in a stunner. Drake May there throwing. I mean, it was a really, really tough tough game for Drake May and the Tar Heels getting caught off guard there by Virginia in the South's oldest rivalry. They were stifled there in the second half. And then Miami and Clemson. Neither one wanted to win that football game. Miami prevailing in double overtime, 28-20. to 20. That matchup, I guess, gives the next hardest remaining game on the schedule for the Seminoles there in Miami. And then they close the season with Florida. That'll be probably the trickiest remaining game for um, Mike Norvell's team there. So just something to watch. Then elsewhere around the country, Ole Miss beating Auburn 28-21 to going into Jordan-Hare's not easy at night. The lane train rolled through that good win there. And then Tennessee and Alabama. This game was a tale of two halves. Tennessee dominating the first half in Tuscaloosa there, thinking Alabama, my goodness, what's happening? Is Tennessee going to do this again? And then for the second time in three games, Alabama was able to shift it into fifth gear in the second half and pitch a shutout. 27 nothing was the final run for the Tide there, who were down 20-7 at the half, winning the ballgame at 34-20. Nick Saban's defense in the second half after the adjustments are made has been lights out. Keep your eye on Alabama, who's creeping up ever so slowly into the AP poll. 
now up to ninth after suffering that loss to Texas with a date against LSU looming in two weeks following their bye next week. That game in Tuscaloosa as well. And Alabama wins that game. They have the inside track to get to Atlanta and face Georgia. And as we told you earlier in the season, you give Nick Saban 60 minutes for a spot in the college football playoff, I would have bet against him. So Alabama really cooking up something special there on defense. Offense needs to continue to grow. Similar team to Ohio State in that sense. Ohio State's offense is more ahead of schedule than Alabama's is. I think Ohio State has a better quarterback and a better wide receiver in Marvin Harrison Jr. Offensive line also, I give the edge there to the Buckeyes. But again, similar teams need to get better there. And then Tennessee now suffering its second loss. They have got some trouble ahead in November. Back-to-back weeks playing at Missouri and then hosting Georgia. That's the game that you need to circle. Missouri is going to be a tougher contest, but Tennessee and Georgia, that could be the game that Georgia loses now that Brock Bowers is out going into Neyland. We saw what Neyland can be last year against Alabama in the third Saturday in October. It ended up with the goalpost in the Tennessee River. Everything was orange in that entire state. It will be again when Georgia comes to town. Keep your eye on that matchup. The Vols defense is good enough to slow down the Georgia offense without Brock Bowers. The story will be, can Tennessee's offense do enough against Georgia at home? It will have the crowd behind them, but just something to keep your eye on as the season progresses. And then lastly, we will just close with some of the Big 12 teams here escaping with some questionable wins. So Oklahoma in a letdown spot after winning Red River, beating UCF 31-29, to surviving on the failed two-point conversion attempt at the end of the game there by the Golden Knights. And then Texas, its counterpart, Houston got hosed on a spot, converting a third down. The ball looked like it easily got to the at least the eight-and-a-half-yard line where they put the ball at the nine-and-a-half-yard line. The line to gain was the nine-yard line, didn't get it, and then fourth down, ran the ball to the outside and, They just didn't get it. So Houston, comeback falls short. Texas wins 31-24, to keeps its college football playoff hopes alive, its Big 12 hopes alive. So we'll see what happens now with the Longhorns down the stretch. They are eagerly wanting that rematch against Oklahoma so they can right some of their wrongs there in Red River. See if we can get a second matchup there. And then another team that we need to keep watching is Missouri. I'm telling you guys, Missouri is looking like they can cause some havoc in the SEC East. Next game, they host Georgia. This is going to be one to keep your eyes on. Excuse me. The game is in Athens. They travel to Georgia. Can they catch the Bulldogs napping at home? We'll find out. And then they host Tennessee was the game I was looking ahead to. So Missouri, 7-1 and one right now, play Georgia and Tennessee. It's two toughest remaining games. They win one of those, and there's some real parity in the SEC East all of a sudden. Do you like retro apparel with vintage logos, or do you prefer more current? Either way, Homefield has you covered. They pride themselves on celebrating the history and tradition of colleges and universities across the nation, while also highlighting the present day. With over 150 schools to choose from, check out Homefield for all your apparel needs this season. Whether it's a t-shirt, hoodie, or loungewear, Homefield is the only place you should shop for your favorite college apparel. Use code CADENCE at checkout to receive 15% off your first order today. Wacky weekend of college football. No team looked 
crazy dominant beside Michigan. They beat Michigan State 49-0. Wolverines continue to be the most dominant team in the country. However, they have only played about the 110th best strength of schedule in the country so far. That's going to change as the calendar turns to November. Penn State in Happy Valley and then hosting Ohio State and Ann Arbor ahead for the Wolverines there in November. Those are its two money matchups. Those two games will decide the winner of the Big Ten East. Ohio State gets a leg up after beating Penn State, having the advantage so far in the round robin at 1-0. Penn State falling to 0-1. Michigan yet to play. We'll see what happens in the next matchup when Penn State and Michigan play each other in just a couple of weeks on November 11th. But, guys, another big weekend of college football. Some big matchups that happened. Got another good slate this week, headlined by Oregon and Utah. We'll have a lot of coverage for that later in the week. You also have Pitt-Notre Dame. That could be a sneaky matchup there at home for the Irish. Duke and Louisville, another ACC matchup. That could have something to do with whether or not Louisville is able to make the ACC title game. And then you got Ohio State. This is a tricky spot for the Buckeyes after beating Penn State in an emotional game is a road game against Wisconsin. Anytime Ohio State has had a road game the week following Penn State, they've been in a dicey situation. Luke Fickle and the Badgers will be ready to go sitting at 5-2. and two. That game on NBC at 7.30. Night game in Camp Randall jump around in full force. The Buckeyes opened at 14-point favorites. That number is down to 13.5 right now as I tell you that. We'll have more and a pick for that game as we get to later in the week. Buckeyes need to be able to bounce back and bring it every week. One of the hallmarks of what Ryan Day has told his team is championship teams have to bring it every single week. There can't be any letdown spots or weeks off. Buckeyes in a big spot against Wisconsin again. And then that will round out our show for today. Guys, great weekend of college football, Ohio State questionably the number one team in the country, depending on what you value. Do you value Georgia for being the two-time defending champion and they stay number one until proven otherwise where someone beats them? Do you give it to Michigan as the most dominant team in the country despite not really playing any quality opponents yet? Do you give the edge to Ohio State, who now has two top 15 wins, only team in the country that can say that? Or do you give the edge to a Florida State team who has also gotten some quality wins this season, though LSU and Clemson not as good as we anticipated. Just something also to note for the Buckeyes again is this team has handed six of its seven opponents so far its first loss of the season. Just keep that in mind. Yes, Indiana counts. It was week one, I understand, but it's part of the stat. They have handed six of its seven opponents its first loss of the season, meaning six of its seven opponents, Purdue the only exclusion, had a zero in the loss column when Ohio State went head-to-head with them, and the Buckeyes have prevailed in all of those matchups. Guys, thank you for listening. Continue to follow our coverage on social media, at Saturday Cadence on Instagram and Twitter, or X, and then at Saturday Cadence Pod on TikTok. If you would like to follow me personally on social media, at Blake Biscardi across all platforms. Nice and easy for you guys. Love to chat with you there. Thank you for your support again to the show. And David and I will see you next week for our preview and picks episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you like and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast and follow our coverage by tuning into our website, tsilverbulletin.com 
and following us on social media at T Silver Bulletin on Instagram and Twitter, as well as at Saturday Cadence on Twitter. If you follow those social outlets, you will stay up to date with the latest recruiting news, the latest around college football, and the latest just touch points where we can post clips from the show and you guys can continue to digest content in any way that we can get it to you. Also, if you would share the show, we would greatly appreciate that as we continue to grow our audience. Again, thank you guys for listening.